Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, May 18th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 19 through chapter 4, verse 4. Even though his children have been faithless, the Lord desires that they forsake their shameful idolatry and return to him alone in true repentance of the heart. Help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today. We have with us regular guest, Pastor Clint Poppy. Pastor Poppy served at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pastor Poppy, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Well, it's great to hear your voice again, Tim. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you back on. It's been a little while, so glad to, to talk to you today a little bit about Jeremiah chapter 3, chapter 4. As we get started this morning, let's talk a little bit about context. What do we need to know about the prophet, his ministry, and also the particular setting within the book as we go into this text today? Well, you know, Jeremiah is a very imposing book. It's really long. You uh, pick up Jeremiah and you start reading, and it's pretty depressing. Uh, it shows up only a handful of times in our uh, Sunday readings in our pericopes, and so it's kind of a closed book in that respect for a lot of people, and it's also uh, at a time frame that it's been my experience that the vast majority of Lutheran Christians are just really, really ignorant of this uh, time period with regard to exiles and different countries coming in and wiping people out. And so I, I think it's good for people to have a basic understanding, a basic grasp of the, of the history of what's going on. The, uh, the very initial program that you had with Dr. Lessing uh, is, uh, is one that people should listen to again and again and again and again to get some of these dates and ideas in their head. Two dates that people need to know, 721, that's the uh, fall of Israel the uh, northern kingdom, the ten tribes up to the north. The uh, kingdom was divided after Solomon, and uh, you've got uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam and all of that stuff. That, that's not as important right now, but to know that the kingdom was divided, ten tribes to the north, two tribe or yeah two tribes to the south that's generally called Judah gets a little confusing because sometimes god refers to all 12 tribes as Israel and so you have to uh, you have to kind of look at the context there but Israel fell the Assyrians sacked them in 721 BC and then Judah the two tribes to the north they've got Jerusalem they've got the temple they've got the ark of the covenant they're feeling pretty good about themselves and so what do they do they fall into the same sins and even worse as uh, their sisters up north Israel and in 587 despite God's repeated warnings to the uh, people of Judah and it's two tribes Judah and Benjamin despite repeated calls to repentance the people refused and finally the Babylonians uh, ultimately sack Judah in 587 BC Jeremiah then is uh, 
very active prophet. He's around for 40-plus years, and he is seeing the last days of Judah and begging the people to repent. And because he's got a message of repentance and the people don't want to listen, uh, he's not treated very well. And so I think a lot of a lot of pastors, depending on their situations, can uh, can relate very very well to the book of Jeremiah. And so I think this uh, this study is uh, is great and awesome. The uh, the more immediate context with uh, Jeremiah chapter three is uh, shocking language, and some of the uh, some of the translations water it down quite a bit. The uh, the ESV, which I know you've uh, been working from and reading from, does not. And uh, starts out with divorce, which, you know, people know that term. That's not so shocking. But uh, the term whore or whoredom keeps coming up and coming up and coming up. And uh, while that certainly can refer to the physical act, it's, uh, it's an idolatry, a spiritual idolatry that God paints as, uh, as an adulterous wife, as one who is whoring around, even, uh, even like a donkey in heat, doesn't care who or what, just uh, um, running wild. And this is the picture that God gives of Israel specifically, and it's uh, really an object lesson for Judah is what's going on. And then uh, right uh, Friday in your uh, in your program with uh, Pastor Denzer, I believe, uh, Friday at the end of um, the program, and in verses three fifteen to eighteen, we have we have some beautiful gospel imagery. We have the uh, shepherds after my own heart, kind of a renewal of the Davidic covenant. There, uh, we have all of the people that will be coming to and flocking to Jerusalem. And and I would just say that uh, of all the shocking language in Jeremiah chapter 3, it appears to me that verse 16 of Jeremiah 3 is the most shocking language of all. And it has nothing to do with idolatry. It has nothing to do with whoredom. It has nothing to do with the sins of the past but how God is going to provide for his people, that gospel promise. He says, the ark of the covenant shall be no more. And the people of Judah have been hanging on the fact that we've got Jerusalem, we've got the temple, we've got the ark, and something bigger, something better, something is going to come. And this this had to be shocking when they heard that. And it's setting them up for more preaching, a call to repentance from a God who loves them and does not want them to spend an eternity cut off from them in hell. Sorry, I get I get a little preachy sometimes. That's all right. I mean, I think you're right that that verse 16 in the previous text is pretty important, particularly as Jeremiah goes forward and, and we get into a few chapters from now when he, he starts talking about how the people are saying, peace, peace when there's no peace because they, they think they're great because they're in the land or in chapter seven, you know, they're saying the temple, of the Lord, look, we've got the temple. And already here in chapter three, Jeremiah has said, there's coming a day when that's not going to be 
the big deal. And of course, you know, he's going to preach Christ a little more explicitly as, as the chapters move even farther into the book, but setting that up here already, the, the shocking language has certainly been a feature in these first three chapters of Jeremiah so far. That same imagery comes up in our text again today, though one of the things, I mean, just reading through Jeremiah, as you said, it's an intimidating book and it's a hard book to read because there is so much wrath and judgment. The text that we've got today is a bit of a a breath of fresh air because it seems that there's hope still. A lot of Jeremiah seems very hopeless, but the, the great thing I think about this text is that there is, we, we know from this text what the Lord wants. He wants the repentance of his people. The reason that he preaches all of this judgment and destruction is precisely because of what's in this text. He desires his people to return. And so I know for me, just going through the book in this way, it's nice to re read a text like this. It's a bit of a breath of, of fresh air, some gospel in the midst of all this destruction, judgment that's that's here in Jeremiah. It's, it's ironic that if you uh, turn on the television or the radio late at night, you will still hear preachers talking about the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Let's go to Israel. Let's rebuild the temple. Uh, the, the same uh, false understanding, the same false teaching, the same lack of seeing the gospel in the word of God still plagues us today. Preachers are pre preaching peace apart from the cross of Christ and there is no peace apart from Christ's cross. So uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. That's right. Jeremiah is still very applicable to us Christians today. Let's go ahead and take a look at our text today. We are beginning again in Jeremiah 3, verse 19. I yeah, said... And, and Tim, oh, go ahead. Uh, are, sure. you are you going to read the whole text? Is that how you're going to do it? Well, you want me to stop in the middle somewhere, or how do you want to do it? No, no, no. That's... That, um, um, we'll, we'll come back and pick it apart, um, but uh, it is if you if you have your uh, your English Bibles out, you'll see that part of the text is in uh, poetry, and then there's a little narrative, and then there's a little more uh, poetry, and that's that's kind of illustrative for who's talking and some of those things back and forth, and we can we can pull that apart. Okay, sounds good. So again, yeah, pay attention to how it's arranged poetically here, prose sections, and, and we'll talk about who's talking. That's always one of the challenges in Hebrew poetry, particularly, and, and like I think the Psalms, you know, where you, you need to make sure you understand who is talking to whom. So we'll have an opportunity to do that today. Jeremiah three nineteen. I said, how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of all nations. And I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. A voice on the bare heights is heard, the weeping and pleading of Israel's sons, because they have perverted their way, they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God, Truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. But from our youth the shameful thing has devoured all for which our fathers labored, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. Let us lie down in our shame and let our dishonor cover us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth even to this day, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, 
to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear, as the Lord lives, in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. That's our text for today. This is Jeremiah 3, 19 through 4, verse 4. Pastor Poppy, just thinking about this text as a whole and, and with that conversation we started with about you know who's talking to whom, it, it seems like, and I don't know if this is a fair characterization, but as I read it, it's almost like a, a liturgy of sorts between the Lord and the people, a liturgy of repentance. I mean, what do you think of, uh, in terms of the text as a whole, does that seem like a, an accurate description? No, I think I think that's a very good description. There is a rhythm and flow, uh, and that's what makes you think of the liturgy, because the liturgy is a rhythm and flow where God speaks to us and we respond, and God speaks again to us and we respond. God gives his gifts and we give thanks. That's, uh, that rhythm and flow is very, very clear in this particular text. And uh, in verse 18, uh, the verse just immediately preceding what we're looking at, uh, the, the phrase, uh, in those days, God is talking about things that are going to happen in the future. And I think that's very, very important to us, for us, because in verse 19, God is speaking to Israel, the ten tribes uh, up north that don't exist anymore. They've been dispersed, they've been carried off into captivity, and uh, in verse 14, God says that he's going to take one here from a city and two from a family. The children of Israel, those that northern kingdom, they're going to come back, but they're not going to come back as a whole. They're going to come back as individuals who hear the word of God, who repent of their sins, and believe in the gospel. They're going to come back. And now God is speaking to this dispersed Israel, starting in verse 19. So in verse 19, we get a, a, a bit of a break, just for a moment, of that language of the marriage between God and his people, that God is the husband, his people are the wife. And here we have the language of father son which is certainly biblical it's, it's i think back to the exodus where the lord tells moses that israel is his firstborn son and it seems like we've got a, a repeat of that and and also in verse 19 you, you just see this great desire this great love that god has for his people to, to bless them and to give him his his good gifts so take us into how god begins this dialogue well, it's interesting to note that earlier in Jeremiah, in 1, 2, and in the first half of 3, there are several references where God is condemning the people because they think trees and rocks are their father, and that they have given them birth. The false idols represented by the, the tree and the stone, uh, God, God is reminding, hey, 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 wait a minute. I'm the one that gave you birth. I created you, first article gifts. I have redeemed you, second article gifts. I call you, continue to call you to faith, third article gifts. You are my children. Even if you don't 
believe it, even if you don't act like it, even if you've run from me, you are my children. And God is pleading. You can almost hear in verse 19 how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land. This this land, this pleasant land, a land of peace. This is uh, talked about throughout the Old Testament scriptures, especially in Zechariah chapter 7. And then uh, a heritage most beautiful of all the nations, of all the shining stars, Israel is to shine the brightest, to be the shiniest, and that all of the nations of the earth would be drawn to them and to the gospel. That's the uh, epiphany reading from uh, Isaiah chapter 60. They are uh, literally an inheritance of glory unto the glories. Jerusalem, which is the uh, focal point here, Jerusalem is to be that magnet where all the people are drawn to. And it's not the city of Jerusalem, but it's what's going to take place there. Because just outside the city wall of Jerusalem, that's where Jesus is going to bleed and die and rise from the dead and give forgiveness, life, and salvation, not only for the children of Israel, not only for the 12 tribes and the chosen people, but for the true Israel, for the new Israel, all people who cling to Jesus in faith. Yeah, Jeremiah, at the very beginning of the book, when he's called by the Lord, he is called a prophet to the nations. And it's, it's quite something to see how that does continue to come up to in the book of Jeremiah, that the things that are being preached to Judah and Jerusalem, or sometimes more broadly to all of Israel, all 12 tribes, they always have an effect on the nations, that that all of this is done for the sake of the Lord, keeping that promise in Christ for the nations. And and it's just, yeah, it's, it's good to see that theme, that even as the Lord deals with his own people, it is for the sake of the whole world, to, to be make his people the blessing to the whole world in Jesus Christ, that son of Abraham. So fantastic. Now, that's what the Lord desires in verse 19. This is what he's looking for. He wants his people to, to call him my father, not turn from him. And yet in verse 20, he comes back to that theme, but you've been a treacherous wife. Take us into verse 20. Yes, and that, that imagery, you've talked about this a lot so far, this imagery as God as the husband and uh, the, the children of Israel as the wife. This is carried through beautifully with Christ as the bridegroom and uh, the church as the bride. We see this, this imagery all throughout Scripture. Uh, up to this point, Judah, the... Uh, the uh, sister down uh, south, Judah is the one who has been called a treacherous wife. Now, while um, Jeremiah is preaching here in this section primarily to dispersed Israel, Judah's listening, because that's where Jeremiah is. Judah is listening, and they've been the treacherous wife to this point, and now all of a sudden, oh, the same sins that we committed are the sins that Israel has committed. And when it goes on talking about that there is forgiveness and hope and healing, God through Jeremiah is preaching that call to repentance and that hope of forgiveness to the people of Judah that are hearing that the sins of Israel are exactly the same as the sins that Judah has just been condemned for in chapter 2. So you've been treacherous to me, 
O house of Israel, declares the Lord. And now Judah has got to be thinking, oh, oh, maybe I ought to listen to this too. These words aren't just for dispersed Israel, they're for me as well. Yeah, I mean, in the previous chapter, which we talked about with Pastor Denzer yesterday, it, it, that's you get this back and forth where the Lord almost uses you know Israel as this example for Judah. Look at what happened. Look what I'm still saying to them. Come back. This invitation is for you as well. And so from from there, the Lord again, the Lord speaks in verses 19 and 20 in this liturgy of sorts. Now, at least as the ESV translates in verse 20, when there's no quotation marks, it seems that a dialogue resumes again in verse 22. Perhaps verse 21, you can tell me what you think, Pastor Poppy. It's almost like verse 21 is, is Jeremiah, the prophet, his own observations describing the scene for us. And, and he says this is going to happen on a, a bare height, and there's going to be a voice of weeping and pleading from Israel because they've forgotten the Lord. Is is that kind of, I mean, is verse 21, this is like Jeremiah setting the scene for us, or, or do you, what? Take me into that verse. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what's going on. And uh, again, in the first two and a half chapters, we've seen what goes on on top of the high hills, on top of the bare hills. Uh, and it's not good. It's the uh, fornication, the uh, idolatry, the, um, you know, the wood and the stone is being worshipped as if somehow it had some power, some power to do something, some power to save, and uh, it's just, just an excuse for uh, wanton sexual revelry is what's going on here. And so, the, the, in a sense, we're going to return to the scene of the crime. And at this, uh, in this uh, bare heights, the people are, are weeping and pleading. The sons of Israel are weeping and pleading to their false gods. This is what has happened in the past. And now in that same spot, the people are weeping and pleading over their sins. And that's going to flesh out a little bit more as we get to the end of the chapter. All of a sudden, they have heard the word of God. They realize that they have, end of verse 21, they have forgotten the Lord their God. They've forgotten Yahweh. They've forgotten their creator, redeemer, sanctifier. And they are crying out, not to the false gods, but they're crying out to the one true God who's been begging and pleading for them to come home to repent. Just thinking through the historical context of Jeremiah's ministry, uh, do you think that this scene, this liturgy of repentance that we've got, is, is Jeremiah maybe intending this to be used, or perhaps could it have even been used, in the days of, of Josiah's reforms? It certainly seems like it would fit into that context pretty well. Well, you know, J Josiah is the, the great reformer. Uh, of the Old Testament, a beautiful foreshadowing of Christ. Uh, there's, there's a lot of pastors that preach on Josiah during, uh, at the Reformation time, uh, because of returning to the Bible, finding the book of the Lord. There's so many wonderful connections there. And it's really pretty simple. We forget the word of the Lord. And it doesn't matter if you're living dur during Josiah's time or Yehoiakim or Yehoiachin or Zedekiah or any of these names that we bumble and stumble over, or uh, during the you know earthly quote unquote reign of President Obama or President Trump or President Biden, uh, people forget the Word of God. People forget the Lord. 
And God's call is always the same. Return to me. Return to my word. And the word has power to do what God promises it will do. It will break our hard hearts, and it will give us a new heart, a heart that's pumping and alive, a gift from God. And so Jeremiah is going to keep preaching that word of the Lord leading to repentance, which this liturgy is what we're getting in today's text. We're going to pick up that more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFU, talking Jeremiah 3 and 4 with Pastor Clint Poppy. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. As we struggle to look at the world from a Lutheran perspective, there are many things that would tempt us from seeking first the kingdom of God. The May issue of the Lutheran Witness is all about this. Titled, Seek First the Kingdom of God, it covers a wide range of learning how to get over our worries and fears and trust in Christ alone, to how to avoid the temptations and struggles of technology. To order your copy of the Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org slash witness. You can also read more on witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you look at the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, May 18th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 19 through 4, verse 4, with Pastor Clint Poppy. He's the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pastor Poppy, prior to the break, we're talking about this liturgy of repentance that Jeremiah has set up for us. We've already heard from the Lord in verses 19 and 20. Jeremiah pictures this happening on the bare heights, the very place where Israel had once committed idolatry. Now they have gone there not to commit idolatry again, but instead to to repent, to plead, to weep before the Lord, perhaps happening during the days of Josiah's reform. The dialogue picks back up in verse 22. And within verse 22, I think we've got a couple lines from the Lord yet before the people respond in repentance. So return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Let's just talk about that promise from the Lord first before we get into what Israel actually says in their repentance. Yeah, yeah, our uh, our hearers need to remember that the uh, chapter and verse designations are not in Scripture. That is uh, a human uh, addition, a guide, an aid for us. And uh, this is a little bit of an unfortunate uh, one here because you may not realize that there's a change going on. In the first half of verse 22, God is once again begging and pleading, and he calls them sons, his children, in in spite of all their idolatry, in spite of their apostasy, God loves them. He desires all people to come to a knowledge of salvation and be saved. And he gives this final call to repentance and this promise that I will heal your faithlessness. He doesn't he doesn't excuse it, he doesn't turn it away, but he promises 
healing. And uh, there are several places in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Isaiah, where God talks about the healing of the nations. So this healing, talking specifically to Israel, the dispersed Israel, Judah is listening, but you and I are listening today as well. Mm. So the people then begin their return, their response of repentance in the middle of verse 22, first by saying, we're coming to you, you're Yahweh, you're the Lord our God. And then there's a confession about what they had been doing, which is kind of, it's sandwiched between this confession of you've got, this is who you are, we're coming to you, the Lord, the Lord is our salvation. And right in the middle is the confession of what they've been doing there on the hills. Take us into this first part of the people's repentance. It's it's amazing here, you know, and, and uh, I talked about the ark being no more, being the most shocking. Uh, maybe this is the most shocking, Tim, uh, because the Word of God works. And the people hear the Word of God, and the people repent. And if you want hope in a hopeless situation... Uh, this is it right here. The uh, the people, uh, you know, you are our God. And then, rather than the false, fake, uh, hypocritical repentance that Judah has been doing, here we see a true repentance, a repentance of the heart. They confess their sins, and they get pretty specific. Truly, the hills are a delusion. Uh, everything that took place on those hills with our false worship and our fornication-type practices, it was all a lie. It brought us temporary help, but the guilt and the shame still remains. Oh, the orgies on the mountains. Oops. None of that provided any lasting relief, any rela- uh, any lasting hope. It was all for nothing. And then in, uh, at the end of verse 23, truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. There is salvation in no other God than the one true God, the triune God, Jesus Christ, or triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in the salvation Jesus has won for us. That confession there in the middle about the hills being a delusion, I mean, you're saying, I I think you're right, that this is quite unexpected, shocking, miraculous, that that these people, again, thinking about how Jeremiah has described their stubborn, hard-heartedness, this idolatry and adultery against the Lord, here the Word of God has done its work. I mean, and you can see this, you know, the matter of the hills being a delusion, thinking back to what the Lord said back in chapter 2 about that you brought this passage up earlier about saying to the tree, you're my father, to the stone, you're, you gave me birth. The Lord challenges his people there. Look, if, if you if you want to worship these gods, then when you're in trouble, call upon them to help you. Don't call upon me. Call upon your false gods and see what they can do. And and here the people have, have come to that realization based on the word of the Lord that what the Lord said is true. That all of this idolatry, while, while it made all these wonderful promises, it's just a lie. And it, it can't do anything. These idols cannot do anything to save the people. Only the Lord, as, as that verse closes, only the Lord is the salvation for Israel. Amen. Amen. Into verse 24, then, it says, from our youth. So this is still the people of Israel talking in repentance. It says, from our youth, the shameful thing has devoured all for which our fathers labored. That, that word, the shameful thing, as it's translated in the ESV, what's that referring to? 
Well, the uh, I mean, it's shame, it's disgrace, but uh, the the Hebrew word there, depending on how you pronounce it, my. Uh, my Hebrew is better than my Greek, and my Hebrew pronunciation <laughs> is terrible. But uh, Boshet, uh, you may remember the name Ishboshet or Ishbosheth. Uh, that Boshet is a term, a name that is a mocking term or a mocking name for Baal. And so if you want to go follow Baal, you're going to be left with nothing but shame and disgrace. And so it has kind of a double meaning, a little uh, double entendre, if you will. And, you know, we, we think often about the sins of our youth. And, oh, if we could go back in time, we would change this or change that. That's what's going on here. In verse 24, they're thinking about all the shameful things that they've done all their life, all the way back to their youth. And, I don't know, I can go into my garage and I can look at all my junk in the garage, you know, that at one time was precious. And I could think to myself, man, I wish I had the money that I spent on all this stuff because uh, it's just sitting here right now. Idolatry is expensive. It doesn't matter what your idolatry is. It doesn't matter if it's uh, fishing and your new boat or hunting and your 3,000 decoys uh, or if it's golf and your new bag or if it's youth sports and uh, traveling all over the country. Idolatry is expensive. And when we sit and we think about our idolatry and we think about the cost of that idolatry, it always leaves us in guilt and far worse than that, death and damnation. Idolatry is expensive. I really like that. I've, I've never phrased it that way, but I think that's a very helpful thing to think about. And, and this matter of shame and then the, the things that idolatry has taken away, the, you know, this shameful thing, Baal, our idolatry toward him, it's devoured everything for the people, everything that the fathers labored for, the flocks, the herds, the sons, the daughters. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of this is what happened to Job. Job suffered for being righteous. Here, these people are suffering by their own fault. They're, they're suffering for their idolatry, and it's devoured everything. And, you know, that idea and of it, going out into the— it's the same. No matter what the idolatry is, it always costs more than you ever intended to pay. The, the, your image there of you know going out into the garage and and seeing all of your your trophies or i can i can think you know in, in one of my closets i've got some some trophies or some medals ribbons things like that that i i got in high school or college somewhere along the way and i, I look at them now it's like wow you know what a well, <laughs> that's great <laughs> what am i going to do with yeah. it now why did you know, i save they, this why did that's I right save that's this? right yeah. i mean I'm, I'm reminded i'm reminded of the way uh, saint paul talks in Philippians 3, when he lists all of his accomplishments under the law, and then he, he looks at them and says, it's it's just rubbish. It's just, and I think his word is actually pretty strong there, stronger than, than rubbish. It's it's a, it's just refuse. It's it's nothing. And the reason, you know, is because of the of what we have in Christ. That's the true riches that are ours. Amen. Amen. There's, uh, there's one more verse, Tim, with, uh, with regard to this uh, shocking confession of faith, and that's, uh, and that's in verse 25. Uh, verse 25 is this, uh, this shame never goes away. There's, there's no human way to remove it. And uh, for those of our hearers that uh, 
can read Hebrew or want to attempt to read Hebrew, this verse is really, really significant because all of the syllables are kind of long and drawn out, and we have an audible way of picturing this, uh, this sobbing and this wailing that comes when we realize our sin and we realize that there is absolutely no hope, nothing we can do about it. Cut to the heart, godly repentance. That's what God wants for the people of Judah, and that's what here we have pictured for us in the uh, children of Israel. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 11. You want to know what true repentance looks like? Go there. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 11. That's the, the difference between a, a worldly sadness and a godly sadness, right? I'm, I'm sorry because I got caught, or I'm sorry because I sinned. Exactly. Yeah, and so, and so here, what, what the Lord has worked in his people through his word is the, the godly sorrow. Sorrow for their sin, mourning over what they've done, and over the effects that it's having upon them, realizing that this is something that we've brought upon ourselves. We lie down in our shame. Our dishonor covers us. Why? It's our fault. We've sinned against the Lord. They recognize it's happened for a long time over the generations. It's happened in their youth. And even now, they haven't obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. I mean, it's quite a, you know, this, this repentance that's given here. There's no excuse made. It's simply, this is what we've done. We've done it for a long time. And the only place we can turn is to the Lord. He's the only hope we have for salvation. And so he speaks then again. Go ahead. That's where God wants us to be. He speaks again now in chapter four, uh, beginning at verse one. And uh, if you return or as you return, O Israel, I think that's uh, probably as good a way to uh, as good a way to look at that. Otherwise, you know, it's kind of like, well, maybe this will happen and maybe it won't. This, this is God's promise. It will happen. So take us into how the Lord, we've got the rest of the text before us, and we'll, again, verse by verse, of course, but this is the Lord speaking now, telling his people, this is what your repentance looks like. This is what it means to live in this repentance. So just take us into that first verse of chapter four. Yeah. Uh, if you return, and this return to me, return to me, this is a continual uh, cry of the prophets. We, uh, we sing it in our liturgy, Divine Service Setting 1, during the season of Lent. Um, you know, it's to me you should return. Don't, re- don't return to the false gods. Return to me. Uh, if you remove your uh, de- detestable things, um, your abominations, literally, uh, and then, and do not waver. That waver word is a, is an amazing word. It, uh, it can mean to roam, to rove, to run to and fro. And that's exactly what the children of Israel did. They roamed, they roved, they ran back and forth between whatever God, false God, was the flavor of the day. If you, if you don't do that, and if you swear as the Lord lives, this is a, kind of an early Christian creed, an early Christian hymn, um, all the way back into the Old Testament pages. All the other gods, all the other idols are dead. 
there is only one living God, Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus uses that same kind of language, I believe it's John chapter 8, where uh, he talks about, you know, uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, before Abraham was, I am, because God is God of the living, not of the dead. And so we have this living God imagery here in, uh, in, chap- uh, in verse 2 of chapter 4. And uh, if I can keep going, uh, if that's all right with you, Tim. Go for it. Um, Take us into the, in the truth, two, the justice, and righteousness. Truth, justice, and righteousness. Almost, almost sounds like the Pledge of Allegiance or something <laughs> like that, right? Well, it is, in a way, it's a pledge of allegiance to the one true God. But you know what? You can't make that pledge. I can't make that pledge. No one can make that pledge because it is a gift of God. It was just a couple of weeks ago in, uh, in the uh, series one, uh, the one-year series of readings, we read from John chapter 16. Listen to how similar these words are in uh, John 16, beginning at verse 7. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I think the parallel between these words in Jeremiah 4, verse 2, and Jesus' words in John 16 are, uh, are just shocking, amazing, breathtaking. So, the, so this is a gift of the Spirit, then, this, this repentance. Amen. Yeah, that, that the Lord is working through His Word. It is the Spirit active in the Word that's working this in the people of Israel so that they would return to the Lord. And and then, I mean, this is where, well, we were talking about this earlier, Pastor Poppy, at the end of verse 2, this is more perhaps shocking language for the people of Israel. It's not only a return of Israel that's pictured, but also this is going to have an effect on the nations around Israel. The, the Lord wants this work through his word to be not just for Israel, Judah, but for all people of the world. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing that God kept his people separate through much of the Old Testament, so that through them, the Savior of the nations would be born. And because God kept them separate uh, from the false gods and from intermarriage and all these kind of things, the people fell into the lie, they fell into the false uh, delusion that salvation was only for them. And if you go back to the very beginning promises of the gospel, to the book of Genesis, to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promise has always been for all people. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through your seed. And we in the church can sometimes fall into that trap today. Uh, those those uh, dirty Muslims or Arabs or what's going on in, in uh, Israel and Palestine right now, that doesn't affect me. 
These are people created by God. These are people that Jesus bled and died for. We need to be praying for them and praying for their repentance, that they would come to the true knowledge of the truth. Same thing with wicked Russia or wicked China or any of these places, uh, you know, that, that are big in the news. Christ bled and died for the world. And the church is where God disperses this message, but it's not just for us. It's for all people, for all time, because Christ has paid for all sin. And so the, the return of Israel, this repentance, this faith worked by the Spirit in Israel, is meant then to be shared with the nations, to, to be a light for the nations. I mean, I think of some of the, the servant songs in Isaiah, that, that it's too light a thing for, for him to be only for the children of Jacob, but it is for all the nations to be a, this light, which is what the, the church is still today, that as, as they hear the word of Christ, it is for them. And then, I mean, there's there's a turn, and I, I don't know that I would have noticed it unless you'd, you'd forced me to, to pay attention to this, Pastor Poppy. But <laughs> at the beginning of verse 3, now it's, thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. So we've, we've witnessed this back and forth between the Lord and the people of Israel, the northern tribes that have been dispersed among the nations in the Assyrian conquest. They're, they're gone. The Lord calls them back in repentance. And Judah has been listening in this whole time, and now the Lord turns specifically to Judah and says, this is for you too. And, and he talks to them. And, and there's a couple of images that Jeremiah uses here, the Lord uses through Jeremiah. The first in verse 3 is this, break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. What's the, the picture there? Well, the, this land and this ground imagery has been used quite a bit. Uh, it's in all scripture, of course, and the promises in the land. And uh, where where are you going to worship on the on the high places and all this stuff? So this this land and this ground imagery is uh, pretty common. And when uh, when you are going to plant. Uh, a field, fallow ground, a field that, I mean, at least in recent memory, a uh, generation or so, has not been tilled or maybe never has been tilled. Here in Nebraska, we still have some uh, virgin soil, so to speak, wow. that supposedly a plow has never been set to. That is, uh, that's what's referred to as the fallow ground. And think of that fallow ground as your heart. Throughout the pages here, God has been uh, telling Judah, your sin is worse than Israel's because you pretend to know me, but you're just going through the motions. You, you are more of a treacherous sister than Israel in spite of all of her sins because you go through the motions, but your heart is far away. God, in uh, verses uh, 1 and 2 through Jeremiah, is proclaiming a different kind of repentance, a repentance that isn't fake, that isn't hypocrisy, but is a true repentance that cuts to the heart. And as you repent, Israel, you will be like a light shining uh, city, a uh, bright light shining on the sea, and people will be drawn to you for my sake, says God for your sake, because you're not going to perish in your sins, and for the sake of the nations. And oh, by the way, Judah, uh, you're on the outside looking in. You've been kind of listening here. You're the fallow ground, Judah. 
Your hearts have never been penetrated by the word. Now, if you've got a piece of ground that's never been plowed, a piece of ground that's never been planted, if you go out and you plow that ground, or nowadays maybe a, a field disc or something like that, field plow, which is basically a disc with tines, uh, if you plow that ground and then immediately plant everything that was there, the grass, the weeds, the thorns, and maybe a few things that weren't there that were laying dormant on top, that's going to grow. It's going to choke out the weed. Uh, kind of be thinking about the parable of the sower here in the background. So before you can plant a crop, you have to plow, and you have to plow, and you have to plow. When the weeds and the grass come back up, you've got to plow. It may take several times before that ground is really ready to be sown. And, and for the plower, for the farmer, that seems like an extremely uh, wasteful effort. I'm plowing and plowing here, and I don't get to plant anything. When am I going to see some profit? That's how repentance is to us. We don't, we don't think that repentance means anything. We see no value in it. It seems like a waste of time. But this, uh, this verse, with this plowing the fallow ground, breaking it up, don't, don't, don't sow too quickly. This is a beautiful picture of God's call for repentance and the fact that repentance is not easy, and we certainly can't do it on our own. The last verse of our text gives another image, and this time the image is circumcision. And this is one that Jeremiah will pick up other times as well, not just circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of something else. And, and here I think you know, he literally gets to the heart of the matter. The, the circumcision that God is looking for is ultimately the circumcision of the heart, which you know, Paul will pick this language up as well. This faith in Christ is what we're, we're talking about. We've got just under five minutes here, Pastor Poppy, to, to dig into this last verse. Five minutes for a thorough uh, examination of the doctrine and theology of circumcision. We can That's do right. it. That's right. No problem. We, we can do it. Yes. And, uh, you know, circumcision uh, was a sign of the covenant. Um, the uh, early church fathers called circumcision an Old Testament sacrament. And uh, I don't think that that's wrong. And I think maybe we uh, might want to revive some of that, uh, that language. Um, but circumcision is a, an outward uh, cutting away of the foreskin of the male member. I think there's also some on, uh, double entendre going on here with bringing up circumcision because the uh, Asherah poles and the, the trees, uh, uh, think of like totem pole kind of things, uh, these, these were phallic symbols. And so that's one of the reasons why this uh, fornication was going on under them. And so I think that bringing us back to circumcision, I think there's something going on there, too. So that's what we know circumcision is, and uh, God, God prescribed it. Um, but the people were going through the motions. They were circumcised, but their hearts were far away. They didn't believe. And so God here is, is begging circumcise, not on the outside, but on the inside. And uh, Paul goes, uh, Romans 2, Colossians 2, Philippians 3, it's all over. But this language is also in the book of Deuteronomy. When the, when the children of Israel, after 40 years of wilderness wandering, and they're about to enter into the promised land, in Deuteronomy ten sixteen, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, God, through Moses, is begging them for true faith, true repentance, 
circumcise your heart. Um, remove the foreskin of your hearts, kind of reminds us of Ezekiel language there, giving us uh, a new heart. O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, I'm giving you a picture of the future. Israel, though dispersed, is going to come back. They're going to believe, maybe one at a time, maybe two at a time, but they're going to believe and come back in true repentance. And now I'm begging you one more time, this message is for you. Be cut. Be cut all the way to the heart. Circumcise your heart. And as you do this, Judah and Jerusalem, you too will be healed from your faithfulness. This, this promise is, uh, is for you and for all your children and for all those who will come. Mm. Pastor Pablo, just under two minutes, uh, give us your final thoughts on the text. Point us to Christ from Jeremiah 3 and 4. Uh, well, circumcision uh, is an easy one to connect us to Christ because the the book of Colossians teaches us that uh, circumcision was a uh, a picture, a foreshadowing of God's gift of holy baptism. We know that in baptism we are brought from death or to death, and then brought through the waters to life, connected literally to the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Luther teaches us in uh, Baptism Part 4 of his small catechism that the life of a Christian is nothing more than a return to our baptism each and every day, dying daily to our sins, and then God rising us forth, a new man, a new person, a new creation. And this has to happen every day. Because if it doesn't happen every day, we who still have the old Adam strong in us, we are tempted to wander, to run, to roam after the false gods of the devil, the world, and our flesh. And so Christ in his love continues to send pastors, preachers, to bring us back. Return. Return to the Lord your God. And if you've never heard this before, this message is for you as well. Healing is in the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. Pastor Clint Poppy serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, helping us today with Jeremiah 3, verse 19 through 4, verse 4. Pastor Poppy, thanks for being our guest today. Uh, it's always a great honor, Tim. God's blessings on this series as well. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions for us, comments on this series, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or download the new KFUO app. Use the open mic feature to send up to a 60-second message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.